Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we continue our series, The Gifts of the Holy Spirit, with a message titled, Those Wonderful Nine Gifts. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 to 11, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Let's assume this year, the Vancouver Canucks go all the way and win the Stanley Cup this season. I know many of you think that would be a sign of the end times. And yes, I also know that all you Edmonton and Toronto and Montreal fans, uh, you'd think that was the rise of the Antichrist. And from my perspective, I've never understood why people from Winnipeg and Ottawa don't just cheer for the Canucks. But I guess that's for another time. Perhaps I can convince you then. But go with me on this. Wouldn't it be great to be at that game? Let's say it's game seven. You have seats overlooking center ice. It's overtime. Canuck score, pandemonium. What a great experience. You'd never forget it. You tell your grandkids. But you know what would be greater? It would be to be on that team. So what am I trying to communicate? I want to show you that it's always better to be on the team than to watch. How many of you have been watching for years now? And you've watched while others served and others had victories in Christ and others led someone to faith and others touched the life of someone and discipled them. Others visited the sick and others ministered to the hurting. Others did works of mercy and you just watched. It's always better to contribute to the final victory than only to cheer. And that's what the gifts of the Spirit are. They are God's invitation to get onto the team. Spiritual gifts are actually grace gifts. Out of the Holy Spirit's love and graciousness, He has, if you're a Christian, given you special abilities which are intended to be used in the life of His church. Let me define a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is an ability empowered by the Holy Spirit that can be used to glorify Jesus and to build His church. See, up until now, here's what we found about spiritual gifts. First, you don't have to be super spiritual to have one or more. You just confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and, and the Holy Spirit gives them by grace. And that's all. Second, every single gift is a portion or a part of the ministry of Jesus. In other words, the ability that the Holy Spirit has given you, you already have that ability to reproduce a portion of the ministry of Jesus. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about you. And third, we've learned that we can't do them alone. We actually need each other. Let's take the next step. I'm reading 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 11. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I need to confess at the outset how controversial this list of spiritual gifts are. See, there are those who argue that this list of gifts was only needed in the first century church and that as soon as the Bible was complete, these gifts were no longer needed. Why, they argue, would you need the gift of prophecy when the prophetic record of our Bible is now complete? See, many people who hold this will argue from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 and 10, that prophecies and tongues will cease when the perfect comes and when the impartial passes away. 
See, they will argue that the imperfect are the days before the completion of the Bible. But I think it's relatively clear that 1 Corinthians 13 has nothing to do with the completion of the Bible. Instead, it's about the second coming of Christ. That, it says, is when prophecies and tongues will end. So there is no Bible text that ever promises us that these gifts will end at the end of the first century. But why do these gifts end when Christ returns? Well, for one, healing will be utterly unnecessary. So a prophecy for who would speak for the Lord when we see him face to face. I mean, I could go on, but I think you get the point. But someone will say, well, what about love? Isn't that the enduring gift? Well, the answer to that is that love isn't a gift at all. Love is one of the fruit of the Spirit, and all of the fruit of the Spirit are enduring, but the gifts are not. But until that time comes, until you die or until Christ returns, these gifts will continue, and you have been included as a recipient of this. Indeed, the history of the church is going to show that these gifts have always been there. No, I do not believe these gifts have ceased, but have been a part of the church without ceasing. Yes, it is true that they have been more evident at some times rather than others, but that matter, I would argue, is up to the Holy Spirit. Now, before we look at the details of the list of the nine gifts, let's establish some parameters. I call this basic facts about spiritual gifts. First of all, compare this list with the list that's found at the end of the chapter. Verse 28 mentions gifts of healing right alongside of helping and administration. I want you to notice that the later list is different. Now, first of all, some of the gifts of the first list are missing in the second list, though some, like miracles and healing and tongues, are included. How interesting. Why didn't Paul include all the first nine in that second list? Just think about that for a while. Also notice that Paul includes some in the second list that he didn't include in the first list. He adds helping and administration right between healing and tongues. In other words, he doesn't say, well, healing in tongues, well, that's in a class by itself, and helping in administration, well, that's kind of like everyday mundane stuff. Apparently, Paul doesn't think so. Now, the reason why I point this out is that there are some that will argue that the nine in the first list are somehow a special nine, and they argue that every Christian should have all of these nine there in a class by themselves. Yet Paul never reproduces that list again. And Paul doesn't say the first nine are supernatural ones because he doesn't differentiate between healing and administration. He simply says they're all grace gifts and they're all parceled out by the Spirit. Now, added to that is the fact that Paul has different lists in other places in the Bible. In Ephesians 4, in Romans 12, and Peter has one short list in 1 Peter 4, verse 11, and none of these lists are the same as others. There clearly is no pattern for any of the lists. Here's what I think is happening. Paul is simply mentioning what he sees in his ministry to the churches. So here's fact number one regarding spiritual gifts. I don't think Paul intends anywhere to give us a comprehensive list of gifts. He is rather simply giving us examples of spiritual gifts. Now, let me suggest a second observation. It's hard to categorize the gifts, suggesting certain properties true of all of them. So, for instance, we've already established that the gifts are not enduring. They, they will last only until Christ returns. 
But there is no reason to think that any one of the spiritual gifts lasts all of our lives. See, I do know that many gifts will last for an entire lifetime, and that seems to fit the analogy of the hand and the feet found later in the passage, and that is they play some sort of an enduring role. But in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, Paul considers celibacy to be a gift of the Spirit. Let's say you have this gift and now you're 45 years old and you get married. Well, you might pray that it's a good time for the Lord to take it away. See, I, for one, don't think the gift of healing is an enduring gift, but that may be given for the moment and it may never reappear again. See, I think preaching and teaching seems, at least on most occasions, to be an enduring gift. Here's another observation. New gifts can be given at any time. Paul tells us in chapter 14, verse 1, he tells us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So I mean to say that we should not think that whatever gifts I may have, that's what I have, no more, no less. See, that may be true, but there seems to be no indication that it's necessarily true. It's quite in order to go to the Holy Spirit and request a gift. But it's also necessary that he, by his sovereign designs, decides which gift he gives and which he withholds. But all that's simply background. Let's examine the list we have before us. We see here that Paul has given us a list of nine gifts. Now, to our eyes, we might say, well, this is a very charismatic kind of list, the kind you would find in some churches and not in others. So why this list? Well, we do well to remember that Paul is answering a question that the Corinthians wrote him. Of course, we don't have the question, but if you were listening when I introduced this series, I stated that the question must have been something like this. Are all people who speak in tongues and those who prophesy more spiritual than the rest of us? And we've seen that Paul's answer to the question was no, that the only test of spirituality is our commitment to Jesus. Nonetheless, Paul acknowledges the reality of these nine gifts and that these nine gifts are also part and parcel of what the Holy Spirit gives to the church. And so we are left to wonder, what are these nine gifts? The Back to the Bible Canada Israel experience is a trip like none other. And I'm not the only one who thinks so. A supporter who attended our last trip said, now I can relate to the places of the Bible visually because I've actually been there. The planning and organization of the trip was excellent. I'd love to go on another Back to the Bible Canada trip in the future. So make your plans to join an intimate group of spiritual pilgrims this coming April 24th to May 2nd, 2022 for the Israel Experience hosted by Back to the Bible Canada with on-location teaching with Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld, evenings of entertainment with Laugh Against Phil Calloway, and very special musical guests. More information and trip itinerary and registration forms are available now. So call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to learn more. The nine gifts at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12 are are easily divided into four categories. The first are what I call gifts of utterances. Now here we see Paul twice using the word utterance in verse 8. The Greek word is the Greek word logos, also translated as word. 
When, for instance, the book of John opens, it begins by declaring that that Jesus is the word or the logos of God. God declared himself in Jesus. I mean, other translators of our passage in 1 Corinthians 12 will translate the word logos as message. The idea behind this is that the Holy Spirit has something to say. There's a statement or a remark that he wants to make. And these statements are made in two different fashions. One is the utterance or the message of wisdom. Now, in the Bible, wisdom is always practical. It tells believers how to live their lives in the fear of God. Wisdom is learning to live with skill, learning to live well to the glory of God. It is to be applied personally. See, I think a word or a message of wisdom can happen quite unexpectedly. Have you ever gone to seek someone's counsel about something? And maybe you've been confused about what your next steps should be. And then they speak very practically into your life. And and then later you say, you know, when that person said that, it seemed like it was a piece of wisdom that came directly from God. You know, sometimes that can happen in a Bible study where one believer makes a comment of how practically to apply Scripture. Sometimes it might happen in counseling, but but remember, it's divine wisdom. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It, it tends to be more than human wisdom. It tends to be more than simply practical advice. When it comes to the utterance of knowledge, well, here we find some biblical precedents. Do you remember Acts 5, a couple named Ananias and Sapphira? They attempted to deceive the church, and Peter said, Satan has filled your heart to lie. I'm pretty sure that Peter didn't have a calculator, calculating land values and interviewing the real estate agent as to the price of land that they sold and so on. Rather, the Holy Spirit simply revealed to him that this couple was attempting to deceive the people of God. Sometimes utterances of knowledge reveal sin. Sometimes, as in Corinth, they may have been used to show people the folly of idols. And Paul is saying that there is a kind of a gift of the Holy Spirit that comes from a short utterance, a little word, which reveals an insight that comes from the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying that when that happens, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. See, in many instances, these kinds of gifts are often recognized afterward. After the person has spoken, I mean, we come to the conclusion that, wow, I think this was from God. At other times, as in the case of Peter, the gift is readily seen for what it is. But it is important not to try to constantly categorize these things, but but simply to rejoice that they are from God. The second category is gifts of restoration. And here I'm referring to faith and healing and miracles. Let's take them one at a time, faith. This can't mean saving faith, for saving faith is given to all believers. Indeed, faith is our first right response to the gospel. It also can't refer to what Jude refers to in Jude 3, where where he speaks of the faith, meaning the content of Christian doctrine. See, all of us are called upon to learn the truths of the Christian faith. I think the secret of what Paul means is found in chapter 13, verse 2, and there Paul speaks of faith that can remove mountains. See, there are times when God gives his people a certainty that he's about to do something, something that we don't find in Scripture. And I I don't mean here the faith to believe that Jesus is coming again. That is found in Scripture. I remember reading the stories of George Mueller, who ran an orphanage in Bristol, England. Although he had no financial backers and no budget, he was determined to ask no one for money. He simply believed that God would supply every single day. 
And what I mean to say is this, that he did not have a scripture promise that potatoes would be dropped off at the orphanage each day. He just believed they would. Often this gift is given as a result of extended prayer in which the Holy Spirit will simply call for someone to believe something for the glory of God and for the good of his church. And then Paul mentions gifts of healing. For the first time, he uses the plural, not the gift of healing, but gifts of healing. So why is that? One suggestion is that God gives a gift to heal a certain kind of disease, but not others. Perhaps, but that doesn't seem likely. Another suggestion has been that this gift is a one-off kind of gift. In other words, you get this gift to heal one person, and then the gift must be given again if you are to heal someone else. Now, that's a possibility. At the very least, I think this points out that we shouldn't institutionalize this gift. Uh, We may have someone who functions in the office of a teacher, but there is no reference to a biblical office of a healer. I think each case of healing is a one-off kind of gift. And finally comes the gift of miracles. Now, this gift is in the same category as healing, but it also includes a wide variety of things like Jesus feeding the 5,000, or like Paul in Acts 13, condemning a false prophet and magician, a man by the name of Bar-Jesus, to blindness. It was seen as a sign from God. So this gift may also include driving out demons and so forth. Now, I've called these three gifts gifts of restoration because each of them restores us back to wholeness. I know that's easy to see with the gift of healing, but I think it's also easy to see with faith. For waiting on God to break in is often waiting on God to break in to restore or to provide relief at the proper time. But I need to add something here. These three gifts often overwhelm us when we witness them. They do cause us to exclaim, surely God is among us. See, I remember praying for a man who was going blind and and seeing his eyesight instantly restored. I, I remember thinking, surely God is among us. The third category are words from God, and I place two gifts here, the gift of prophecy and distinguishing between spirits. See, I have no doubt that these are mentioned together, for there's always a need for someone with discernment to be able to say, this is or this is not from God. But what about this gift of prophecy? There are those who argue it simply means preaching, but that's not the way prophecy is used in the Bible. But for some, this is where the danger lies. I have known of individuals who begin to rely on words of prophecy rather than on their Bible. And even more dangerous are those who wait for a word from God, tell them what their Bible means. In other words, they're not paying attention to the grammar, the words, the context, and the historical setting of a text. They're just waiting for some kind of a word from God. See, that's not right. Of one thing we must be clear, the prophetic utterance that gave us the Bible That's unique and final. So what kind of prophecy would Paul be speaking of? Now, I'm going to hold back much of the discussion until we come to chapter 14. But for now, let me say that the kind of prophecy Paul will speak of is the kind of prophecy that has an expiry date stamped on it. Look at it this way. The Bible contains prophecies which are supracultural. That is, they present us with God's truth for all times and in every culture. But in Acts, we meet a prophet by the name of Agabus, who in Acts 11 predicts a great famine, and then in Acts 21 prophesies that Paul will be imprisoned in Jerusalem. 
Now, here we have no doctrinal issue at stake. Rather, we have what I call time-sensitive stuff. That is, it deals with a specific time and a specific place, and it relates to that time period only. We'll talk more about that in the future, but these tend to be words from God for his people. Finally, the fourth category is words from us. Here we get tongues and interpretation. This is the language of prayer and adoration. We will say much more about that in chapter 14, and I'm going to spend a great deal of time with it then, so let me just hold my comments for now. But let me suggest something. Not only is the Holy Spirit handing out these kinds of gifts among us, but that I'm so glad for all of these gifts. It tells me that I need you. Listen to what John Piper recently said about this. He said, what if God has given a gift to another person in your small group or in the church, a gift of healing or discernment or knowledge or miracles? I'm taking the list from 1 Corinthians 12. You've been struggling with something. Could be physical, could be psychological, could be spiritual, it could be sin, or it could be non-moral, and you're not getting anywhere. Could it be that God has a gift out there for you? And the gift is supposed to come not directly, vertically, in answer to your prayer in your little private room. Lord, fix me right now, but rather, it's supposed to come through another person. And that's the point. That's why I feel I need these nine gifts. I don't have them, but maybe you do. And if you don't use them, I'll go without. And I don't want to go without. I want everything that God gives. So do you see how this goes two ways? You need to know the gift God has given you so that you can minister to others. And you need others, for if they don't give you what they have, how impoverished we will all be. Okay, right off the bat, John, I think you might have lost people when you talked about the Vancouver Canucks winning the Stanley Cup this year. I think that might have (laughs) gone just a bit too far. Uh, But let me ask you, you know, there's some people that are concerned about the spiritual gifts, that if, you know, the spiritual gifts sort of run rampant, like uh, we could cause some real concern or, or difficulty within the church even. Yeah, one of the concerns, let's just talk openly about it, and that is, you know, if we say we would allow for the gift of prophecy today. I mean, outside of the fact that, you know, does this run counter to, you know, the the authority of Scripture? But let's just take that on in another time, but just simply say, well, if we allowed for that, how do we stop people who are, you know, on the fringe of stuff? They're almost certifiable. They, They need psychiatric help who think they've been hearing from God. I mean, immediately we open up just a can of worms here with people saying all sorts of contradictory stuff, and we're left having to tamp this stuff down. I think that's what a great many people are concerned about. Thanks so much, John, and uh, we'll continue to work through this series of the gifts of the Spirit in the weeks ahead, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Ephesians Volume 1, Empowered Living, God's Glorious Resources, is your free gift this July. Christ has promised us every spiritual blessing. We were once dead in sin, but now we're alive and have become examples of the incomparable riches of His grace. Yet some of us live in spiritual bankruptcy. Well, the wealth of heaven is at our disposal. How do we access this true wealth? We hear about others who have, but we don't know how to achieve it for ourselves. If you feel the struggle, I have good news. We've been given the book of Ephesians, which provides us the tools for empowered living. 
This month, we're making Dr. John's series on Ephesians Empowered Living Volume 1 available digitally or on CD free during July. To get your copy, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.